Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Marty, pastor to the Grace Adventist Centre and Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in Adelaide. And I'm joined by Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary is pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Pastor Gary... It looks like winter has set in at last. It has indeed. It has indeed. Um, it's it's certainly um, it's certainly come uh, come on in a in a hurry. I mean, particularly those uh, those rainy, uh, windy squalls that are coming through. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, we've been blessed to have a bit of sunshine in the midst of all this all this rain and uh and uh yeah, so that's been something for me that I have been so appreciative. I've been sending up these little prayers, Pastor Gary, when the sun beams through and you go, Oh wow, what a blessing. <laughs> what a blessing, you know, because the cold, the wind, the rain Yeah. Well, I'm just not, I'm just not built for that. I'm just not built for that. Adelaide in winter. (laughs) (laughs) Send me to Queensland. No, no, no. It's good to be here. Uh, this week, uh, we're actually continuing the theme, radical teachings in the parables of Jesus. And we're actually going to be looking at an interesting parable, a parable to professional clergy or to priests and pastors and ministers. So this one is sure to convict us, Pastor Gary, as we almost When I was looking at this one, I almost deleted this one because, you know, I get to put the schedule together and I sort of thought, should I or shouldn't I? And I I thought, you know, no, it's important that we do actually see what the Scriptures have got to say. Uh, in The the Word of God has to say to the professional clergy. And, of course, today we're talking about that parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, this is is a fantastic, parable and and uh you know we've got listeners all around the country pastor gary it's always amazing to me that uh this is a uh an on-air um audience that is engaging in these faith topics and and hey if you're listening to faith fm today drive time why don't you just send us a text and tell us where you're listening from we love to hear where people are listening from and just to say hello so if you'd like to say hello to pastor gary and i today send us a little text our studio Video number is O four triple eight eight O eight eleven. Once again, O four triple eight. 80811. Why don't you just send us a text where you're listening from and we'd love to say hello to you. So, uh, before we dive into this parable of the Good Samaritan, a, a parable that is going to uh, essentially speak to professional ministers. I've, uh, for our World Watch segment, I've picked up an article from, um, from, I believe this is religionnews.com. And it's entitled, With Turning Point Faith, Pastors Use Politics as Church Growth Strategy. And the introduction says, or the blurb, yeah, the introduction says, for a growing number of evangelical pastors embracing white right-wing rhetoric is seen as a way to put more people in the pews and it may in fact be working. Let me read you a little a few a few lines from this article. Trump rallies replete as they are with prayer and passionate crowds are said to have a tendency to turn into something resembling an evangelical Christian church service. But at Phoenix's Dream City Church, it's the other way around. 
At the altar call, Brad Baker, one of Dream City's pastors, told the crowd he dreamed of a United States built on the principles of God. Quote, we're believing that God is going to turn Arizona into a Christian state and we will be known as a Christian state around the world. That's our goal, Baker said, to yelps and applause. The main event, however, was the pulpit talk given by Charlie Kirk, the fresh-faced 29-year-old founder of Turning Point USA. His speechless his speeches satisfy the long-standing evangelical co-mingling of right-wing politics and Christian ministry. But Turning Point USA is also pitching a turn toward the culture war and what critics say is Christian nationalism as a way to fill the pews. In places like Phoenix, it looks like it's working, and it's working in other churches as well. Um, His first stop, uh, Charlie Kirk's, First stop um, after this is uh, during COVID, I believe, was God Speak Calvary Chapel of Thousand Oaks in California, headed by Pastor Rob McCoy, a former city council member and local mayor who had been a rising star in conservative evangelical circles during the early days of COVID 19. Under his leadership, God Speak openly flouted. Um, have I pronounced that correctly, Pastor Gary? openly flouted California's pandemic restrictions, holding in-person maskless services that prompted a series of legal battles with country and state authorities. According to McCoy, Kirk helped land the pastor on Sean uh, Hannity's Fox News show to talk about his activism. As media attention grew, God Speaks attendance ballooned. Far from dissuading churchgoers, COVID-related controversy only raised the church's profile and, according to multiple accounts, packed its pews. We've experienced 400% growth, McCoy told Religion News Service in a recent interview. Wow. You know, this is fascinating, um, fascinating material, Pastor Gary. And, Mm. you know, when we look at the dynamics that are playing out here, the relationship between Politics and pastors between church growth strategies and um, and political maneuvers, it raises a number of interesting questions. And the question I wanted to put to you, Pastor Gary, is what is the difference between church growth and church health? Is there a difference? Mm. Yeah, look, this this is a really a really big one, and of course, Marty, one of the the realities is that this certainly probably doesn't impact Australia as much as it does at the state at states at the present time. But the thing that I'm really conscious of is that what starts in the United States tends to flow across here to to Oz mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. you know within short order. Uh, so you know this is something that we could well uh, start to see occur within the Australian environment. And of course, uh, within America, you're getting this uh, this blending of uh, pastors using politics as a church growth strategy. Uh, now, this this is something that, to me, um, to me, greatly um, uh, greatly concerns me. In fact, uh, look, can I just sort of just make a, a comment on on this generally before before yeah, I come absolutely. to your question? Uh, and that's this. Look. Um, 
when Christ uh, was on was on earth, and to me, Christ is very much our model. Uh, Christ, there were many social issues, social political issues that Christ could have addressed. Now, for example, in his day, slavery was commonplace. Christ would have gone past and seen slaves being auctioned on the auction block. Mm. Now, Mm. to me, the really significant thing is that in all of Jesus' ministry, never once did he speak against slavery. Now, am I against slavery? Yes, I am. Most mm, definitely. Absolutely. Is the Christian church against slavery? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most importantly. But why did Jesus not talk about slavery in his day? Well, the reason he didn't actually speak about it was because his kingdom was to be a spiritual kingdom. You see, Jesus continually uh, spoke in, uh, for example, take the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking about, talking to his disciples, talking to the crowds about changing the human heart yeah. and in changing the human mind. Now, what occurs is that when you change the heart and the mind, then the, uh, the physical structures that support uh, humanity also start to change. Yeah. You know, yeah. to me, it's really significant. You know, I mean, you certainly hear, you know, I constantly hear, you know, that uh, in America, the churches supported slavery. And it's certainly true the churches in the South did support slavery. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that if you go to America, who was it that actually did away with slavery? Well, actually, it was a Christian minister, uh, a Christian minister and one of his um, one of his friends who went into Parliament. And, of course, that man was Sir William Wilberforce, uh, passed, uh, got that legislation finally passed that outlawed slavery. Where did he get all his information from? Well, from a converted slave ship captain called John Newton. Now, John Newton, of course, wrote that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. Mm. He found Mm. Christ. His heart was changed. When his heart was changed, then you turn around and you see society being changed. Now, Mm. look... And to me, I think this is a really key uh, issue that we need to understand in our uh, in our current environment, because increasingly, even churches are starting to to want to use right wing political methodology in order to attract people to them. Christ, however, didn't use that method at no point. Did he turn around and say? Mm, in fact, the mm, things that he mm. said got the got the people upset. And, uh, and rebelling against him. Uh, mm. yeah, he mm. never spoke against, uh, against slavery. Why? Because his objective was to change the human yeah. heart. Yeah. What is the problem with many of the social political movements today? They are politically driven, but they do not change the human heart. Yeah. Until you can change the human heart, you will not change the, uh, the, uh, uh, the mind of an individual individual and the way that they act. It's like treating the symptoms rather than getting to the root cause. It sounds it like what you're saying there, Pastor Gary, is that Jesus recognized that the remedy for the human issue did not lie in political political um, agendas and policies, but it li- the, the, the remedy was actually deeper than that. It was in the gospel, in the transformation of the human heart, to go from being self-centered to being God-centered from being, you know, greed-focused and self-focused to actually following in the footsteps of Jesus who lived a very self-sacrificial life. Because like you're saying, Jesus didn't address slavery in a political way, but his the principles that he taught actually 
you know, undermine the very foundation of slavery. Exactly. And pave the way for slavery to be, to be done away with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ was not functioning on a political level. Yeah. He was l- functioning on the level of the heart. Now, you know, to me, this, let me now come to the question that you, that you did actually ask yeah, because, yeah. uh, because I think that this is actually core. Uh, do you know, it's so important that churches are addressing the heart not yeah. the politics. I mean, yeah, yeah okay, there are, there's a place there for, for, uh, I think, should churches, you know, be, um, be active in, you know, f- for example, talking about, you know, I mean, to me, certainly the abortion debate is one that, you know, I'm certainly happy. You know, should we be involved in those things? Yes, we certainly should, but that is not the, not our primary role. Our primary mm. role mm. is uh, to actually work for the change of the human mm. heart. And, you know, that brings me to that question. Uh, is there a difference between church? growth and church health this is where i think it is really really so important you know it's so easy to drag a crowd together you know if i want absolutely if i want to drag absolutely. a crowd together all i need to do is to put on a rock concert and i'll get a crowd that's not yeah. hard yeah uh, but you know to me the the really key the really important thing uh, in fact i prefer to actually judge a, a church by the issue of health, how healthy is this church, rather than uh, by the the yeah. issue of how many people are actually sitting on on seats. I remember when I was actually uh, a young intern all those uh, all those years ago. Uh, I actually had uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago, Marty. Um, I, I will remember one of my senior pastors saying to me. Uh, he said, uh, uh, Gary. He said, Look, please, never, ever, ever. Uh, judge uh, your church according to how many people you've got at the worship service. Mm. He said uh, mm. what you need to do is to judge it by how many people come to the midweek prayer meeting uh, and uh, what is the, uh, the and the, the the small groups on on Sabbath Sabbath morning. Yeah, that that is wise. He, he said that is those wise. are the two things because he said if your small groups on and of course we call it Sabbath school. Uh, that's that's what he certainly called it in those days. Small groups wasn't such a big thing. It was more you know that was something that occurred uh, certainly for for us on on Sabbath uh, Sabbath morning. But he said to me, he said the people who come to the early morning, the uh, uh, the prayer group, the uh, the the midweek uh, prayer meeting. He said they are the ones you need to assess your church on. Uh, mm-hmm. He said if it, if in fact uh, there is little attendance there, in all probability, you don't have a healthy church. Mm-hmm. And so this is the trap that some pastors can fall into and some churches can fall into they this idea of let's let's pack the pews and and um you know the questionable methodology can be used so long as uh so long as it actually brings results mm-hmm. and um i really wonder about that because i certainly see in the ministry of jesus certainly jesus like you saying before um he did a lot of things that actually didn't attract people he, he did a lot of things that would seem like he was almost pushing them away, but but really he was after he was looking for quality rather than quantity. He was he was reaching people's hearts, and Jesus, of course, wanted to save all people. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, that's why Jesus came. He wanted to win all people, but he also wasn't willing to compromise on principles of truth and of righteousness in order to gain a following. 
Why, I mean, you're 100% correct. I mean, why was it Christ said, look, uh, narrow is the way to life eternal and few there be that find it, but broad is the way, uh, you know, and, and pleasant is the way uh, to destruction and many mm, will find mm, it. Mm. You know, what does he mean by that? You know, to me, this is a huge challenge. You know, uh, to me, I've, I, I've just uh, preached a, a series of, of sermons where, you know, I've, um, uh, I've been talking to our, to our congregation about this, uh, the subject of you know the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual and one of the sin, one of the one of the subjects that I actually brought up was this issue of is it possible to overcome or deal with sin to overcome yeah. sin and yeah. uh, the, I, I I actually took it to took it to to the authority of the word and you know to me uh, as I look at the the word of God uh, it appears that the word of God does teach that it is possible to overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and in fact I, I went one step further and and simply said hey look if in fact uh, you you deny uh, that uh, and say it's not possible to overcome sin, then what you're doing is limiting the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's an incredibly dangerous that's thing to dangerous. do. That's very dangerous. That's exactly what, you know, the devil would want, to think that ultimately that his power in our lives is stronger than God's power in our lives. Exactly. And this is, and as soon as you bring this subject up, you know, uh, I mean, people say, ah, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is the way that I have always been. This is the way that I'm, I'm going to have to stay. No, it is not. Yeah. You know, according to, according to scripture, there is a power there that is yeah. stronger than, uh, uh, than any Education, you know, yeah, some, sometimes yeah. we say, "Hey, what's the solution to this problem?" The solution to this problem is that we, you know, is better education. Well, you know, look, I'm a fairly well-educated person. Uh, you know, you're a fairly well. You know, most of our society is well-educated today, but you know, our problems continue to multiply, continue mm-hmm. to continue mm-hmm. to increase. What's the uh, what is the the source of the uh, the challenges? The source of the challenges is that, hey, you know, I don't there there is no power there, there is no will, there is no desire. To to actually see change take place. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes into the heart, yeah, he yeah. empowers the individual so that change can become not only possible, but desirable. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the good news, isn't it? That God accepts us just as we are. And then he begins to work in our lives. And, you know, I reflect on my experience, Pastor Gary, and I think of many things that I used to love and enjoy and do that now to me are just the most um, ab- abhorrent things. And, That's right. and I couldn't think of any doing anything worse. And, 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 you know, and I think that God does, in fact, he does this work in our hearts. He changes us. And, you know, I, um, I heard a quote recently and, and I, I found great courage in this quote. And it's, it's, it went along the lines of this. The same power that God used to speak the world into existence is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So the spoken word at creation, that same power is in the written word of the Bible. Yeah, and if yeah. God can create something out of nothing when he spoke the world into existence, his words can speak life into my into my brokenness, into my yeah. struggles. Indeed. And if I'm, you know, and I think the key is that we don't focus on self. It's not like 
we, we're going to overcome temptation just by willpower and just by, or, or even by bemoaning our fallen condition, but it's actually by looking to Jesus. Yeah. I think yeah. there's a beautiful quote by Martin Luther where he says, when I look to myself, I can't see how I can be saved, but when I look to Christ, I can't see how I can be lost. And when you have that confidence that God's grace covers you and that you have been, uh, that, that, that Christ has set you free, that he has given you a new heart, this confidence, this assurance of God's and forgiveness. This, this is something us. that many people don't actually realize. You know, one of the, uh, one of the passages of scripture that's really impacted me, me recently is, uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, where King David of talk is talking about the law of the Lord and the beauty of the law and how wonderful it is. But then he goes on and says this, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Now I start to dig in. What is this thing David is talking about? Forgive me from presumptuous sin. What does that actually mean? And it suddenly dawned on me that what David was actually talking about is he's, he's saying, Lord, forgive me for presuming on your grace. May I not presume on your grace? Now, what is it when I presume on God's grace? Well, it's when I say something like, hey, um, uh, Lord, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to live with this sin until the Lord comes, uh, because, and you're just going to have to give me your grace because you're going to have to give me your grace because I can't overcome it. Of course you can't overcome it. You don't have the power to overcome it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what it does is it denies that our Lord has actually given yeah. the power to be overcoming, to be able to overcome this thing called, called sin. And to me, as I look at that, I say, hey, what a gracious God we serve because he's saying, hey, I'm not only going to give you the, I'm not only going to give you a, a future and a hope. I'm not only going to forgive your sin, but then I'm going to give you power to be able to yeah. deal with that sin because a lot of people don't realize that sin actually breaks a relationship. And what yeah. you don't want to do is to break your relationship with the God of heaven. That's exactly um, right. Um, yeah. We can't conjure up this desire in our own, in our own heart. Like the Bible says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And so as we look to Christ and we see his goodness, as we see his love, it actually creates in us a distaste for evil, a that's distaste yeah. for sin. And that's what causes us to turn away from it. It's not as if we just magically say, you know what, I, I, I want to dislike this thing in my life all of a sudden. I actually need to look to Christ. I need to look at the price that he was willing to pay yeah. and the suffering that he was willing to endure for my sin mm. and allow that to really sink in. And, um, you know, we, we do need a revival, as you're saying, Pastor Gary, of of a Christian experience where it's like that of the early church, where they had the, the glory of the risen Christ was shining upon mm. them very brightly. And I like how the, how Paul in Ephesians, he says the same power that worked in Jesus to raise him from mm. the dead is at work in us. Yeah. I mean, if Christ can die on Calvary's cross for our sins, if he can be buried in the tomb and then rise the third day, if that same power that rose Jesus is working in me, well... And you when know. your church is healthy, it will grow. You have church right. health must come before church growth. It becomes natural that way. It becomes natural. You know, I, I, we're, uh, we've gone way over time on this particular point, but I feel like we've actually delved into some important uh, information here. And I just wanted to mention this very brief point as well. 
And that is when it comes to issues around church growth and church health, history often repeats itself. And when you think about history and you think about some of the methods that have been used over the course of history to grow churches, my mind goes to Emperor Constantine. Uh My mind goes to the time when Christianity began to try to merge with, uh, with, with pagan practices in order to make Christianity seem more appealing to the pagans. And that's what's happening today. This history is repeating itself, isn't it? It is. So we've got to be, we can't compromise on the word of God. We've got to mm. stick to God's word and let God take care of church growth. We're going to come to a song. It's just a short one, but it's a beautiful song. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord. Listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Marty and Pastor Gary. This week we're following the theme, Radical Teachings in the Parables of Christ. And today we're looking at a parable to deal with professional clergy, pastors, ministers. And um, today we're actually doing, Faith FM Australia is actually doing something different. We're promoting something where listeners can actually potentially win some Faith FM merchandise. Things like a Faith FM jacket. Wow, I'd love one of those, Pastor Gary, in this cold, cold, uh, cold winter now. A Faith FM hat, Faith FM mug, which I've got one of those at home, and it's uh, it's quite nice. Looking for someone to give it away to, but you can get some of these freebies by just simply engaging with Faith FM, Faith FM Australia. You can sign up for the. For, there's there's a few competitions. It'll be a bit of fun. Just go to faithfm.com.au and you'll find out. Um, what you need to do there. But you're going to need a secret code. And so we're going to give you the secret code now. So um, get your pen ready. It's South. 
Mm. That's it. Nice and easy, this nice one. Nice and easy. Secret code South. If you go to faithfm.com.au and you're interested in uh, trying to... Go, go in the runnings for, for getting a Faith FM jacket or a Faith FM mug <laughs> um, or a Faith FM hat, something like that. There's a whole bunch of you things You know, Marty, there. this is a real... Check rip- it out. This is a real ripper of a, a little contest, this one, because this week, of course, we don't have the uh, the uh, our traditional giveaway book this week. We're sort of putting that one on the back burner until mm-hmm. next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just sort of thought, you know, this was uh, dreamt up by, uh, you know, my, my Faith FM boss over there in Melbourne, and he said, hey, this would be a fan. <laughs> Fantastic idea. So uh, we turned around and we thought, hey, it, it actually is. It's a brilliant I- idea uh, because uh, we want uh, to be able to uh, to share uh, Faith FM, not just with our current listeners, but also with uh, so many more. Now, look, folks, uh, can I just uh, let me let me just reinforce what uh, uh, Marty was actually saying there uh, this this week? And we're not giving away that book, but rather what we're doing is giving away a Faith FM jackets, hats, you know, merchandise, that type of stuff. Yeah. Now, look, yeah. If you want to um, want to be in this, this is a competition. Uh, you can get uh, a, a point for uh, looking at numerous uh, uh, or listening to numerous of our shows. But you need to go on to our Faith FM website now. That's uh, faithfm.com.au faithfm.com.au and look uh, in there uh, there's you can actually get a uh, get get rewarded you get certain points for uh, uh, for certain uh, for listening getting certain secret codes and the drive time secret code is south uh, just s-o-u-t-h south just put that in and uh, you'll receive your your very first point and uh, just go to the Faith FM website, uh, and uh, you can enter the enter, enter the competition. You can enter as many times as you as you want to, because we would love uh, to be able to give you uh, maybe a jacket or a hat or a cup or something like that. Well, that's right, because then when you wear it, you can be advertising Faith FM. Indeed, absolutely Indeed. right. In fact, <laughs> I am hoping they'll accept my uh, submissions because. Oh, I'm, you're keen, aren't you? I am keen. <laughs> I, I particularly like the Faith FM jacket. I just hope they got one in my size. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think Pastor Gary, um, you know, this is just a great initiative, a bit of fun, and a good way to spread the uh, and advertise Faith FM. There's a lot of people who are listening to radio who don't know about Faith FM, yeah, yeah. and yet it's being broadcast in their area, and so. And, and you can get other secret codes. If you listen to our other live um, programs, they also have secret codes. So if you listen to our The Breakfast Show mm-hmm. or you listen to uh, our mates from uh, from Tasmania, uh, those uh, those shows also have got secret codes that you can put in and uh, build up your uh, uh, your reward uh, your reward numbers. Yeah, and you'll have to listen carefully if you're going to be Pastor Gary. I can guarantee you that. Indeed. (laughs) Pastor Gary, we're going to come to this parable now. The parable that talks to professional clergy. And and I notice you've got your Bible open. And you've got the, some uh, some notes as well, and I'm interested to 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 hear what you've you know. I've never actually actually had this parable put in exactly this light that it's a parable to professional clergy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look. This is a uh, this is one of those parables. It's probably one of the most common pro, uh, parables that we've got in the entire New Testament. If you asked our people, there's probably the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then uh, uh, you know you've got probably got the wise and the foolish virgins. Where most many people would be familiar prodigal with son. Them, the prodigal son. Uh, but you know, on this uh, on this particular parable, we've got this. Uh, this this term, the Good Samaritan, you know, even today, on you know, if you hear the news uh, and uh, someone's done mm. a good deed, uh, they'll be referred to as a Good Samaritan. Now, where did that actually come from? Well, a lot of people who are actually using the term uh, don't even realise it's actually a biblical term. If a person is, is being a Good Samaritan, uh, this is coming from one of the parables of Christ. And I I love love it when you know I can sort of tap someone on the shoulder and say it's good to see you quoting. Scripture when they don't even realise that they are actually <laughs> quoting uh, quoting Scripture, uh, but look. Let's. Uh, what I'd like to do, if we can, is read this parable to start with, because I'm conscious that uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar with it, because it, it really has incredible depth to it. But until you hear the story in its entirety, uh, you can miss some of the major points. Now, it's actually found in uh, Luke uh, chapter 10, and uh, and it's verse 25 down to verse 37. And uh, this is how the story. And of course, here, uh, what we've got is uh, is is Jesus, he's talking, he actually tells a, a parable, but it's in response to a question that he's asked by a lawyer. Now, lawyers have a, have a certain way of putting putting questions, and when they put questions, sometimes it's to confuse you, and in this very case, that's exactly what this lawyer was trying to do to Christ, but Christ wasn't about to be confused uh, very much uh, at all, and this is, this is how the whole story goes. Uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, uh, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to do inherit eternal life? Now, that to me is so key. I mean, so many people today have asked that exact question. What shall I do to uh, inherit eternal life? Now, Christ actually gives an answer that, to me, uh, is really worth us, uh, us discussing. Uh, and he said unto him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, Today, if uh, someone was to ask me the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you know the answer I wouldn't give them? I wouldn't say to them, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? To me, what Christ has done here is given the incorrect theological answer. Now, Marty, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, you know, to tell us what the correct theological answer is here. And why does Jesus actually go uh, this, uh, this direction? So he answered and said, this is the lawyer. You shall have the Lord your God with all, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and with all your, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him 
and he bandaged him, and he, he bandaged his wounds, pawned oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him on the next day. When he departed, he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these men, asked Christ, do you think was neighbour to him who fell amongst thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go thou and do likewise. Now, to me, this is a, this is an amazing, an amazing parable. You know, because mm. the question, the initial question is actually being asked of Jesus by a lawyer. Uh, and of course, that question, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus' answer here was, uh, you shall, um, uh, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your stroll, soul with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered rightly do this and you will live how do you find these the question and then the answer that jesus gives what's actually going on here yeah look i i think it's it's a very it's the question of questions in in many ways what shall i do to inherit eternal life but of course it's uh you know, I suppose potentially this is a question um, that, uh, that 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 kind of just wants to just scrape through. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, because then he follows up the question by saying, "And who is my neighbour?" Mm. Um, it's as if he preempts this this kind of. Uh, this dialogue that's going to take place because these were the two great commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, these were the two commandments which essentially summarized or were the essence of the Ten Commandments. Love God, love others. Mm-hmm. If you do that, like love, as Paul writes in, in uh, Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. So I'm sure that this lawyer was um versed well enough in scripture to know that this this was the key issue love to god first and foremost and uh, and love to people as well yeah. but yeah. He, he 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 certainly seems to be trying to say well you know what what's 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 the minimum what's the minimum requirement because uh you know is that person over there really my neighbor who's who is my neighbor exactly who do i really need to show this love to uh, in order to inherit eternal life. Yeah, I think you've actually made a, a really good point there. What we've got is a, a man, the lawyer, of course, who's asking for the minimal. You know, what is the minimum I can get to inherit the kingdom of God? Love your neighbour as yourself. Well, then, who is my neighbour? You know, let's. You know, this is a classic uh, lawyer's, you know, uh, response. Because here, let me define for you yeah. what yeah. is a what is a neighbour. You know, what is your opinion? Of course, that's something that is likely to open a, you know, certainly some sort of an intellectual argument. But of course, what Christ does is moves beyond the intellectual argument, mm. and he actually mm. comes to tell a story. You know, I love the way Christ did two things. 
uh, continually in the New Testament, what we find is that Christ is asking questions and telling stories. Yeah, yeah and this, that's right. This is something that I wish, in many ways, you know, I had learnt a lot earlier in my mm. in my ministry because you know uh, sometimes you know we we do try to be able to provide the right answer. To, you know, when we, we're conscious of a question, you know, sometimes people say to me, Pastor, how can I possibly, you know, how can I witness to someone who doesn't want to hear? Well, the way Christ witnessed to people who didn't want to hear, he actually asked questions and told simple yeah. stories. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, there's a real art in doing that in well, as we see Jesus doing here. You know, that uh, question that, that um, Jesus initially asked, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? I, I'm not so sure I see a contradiction there. I, I see that as essentially Jesus saying, like, what is, what is written in the word, essentially? Mm-hmm. He's kind of pointing the lawyer to some kind of authority where, where do you get your answers from? And I, I suppose that is a good question to ask, you know, when we have, when, when we do have, um, some kind of a theological discussion or philosophical discussion. One of the first questions is, well, what's your, where do you get your authority from or what do you base your, uh, your views off? Yeah. And if somebody is, uh, is, is, bases their views off the Bible, then I think you can have a much more, I suppose, robust discussion. But, uh, but when, when, you know, if, if somebody's basis for authority is, is, is something other than the Bible, then, yeah, you know, yeah. you, wh- this, where can you go from and there? And this is where, you know, so, so many, I'm, I'm conscious, do go awry very quickly. And that is you move to the realm of personal opinion or, uh, or cultural demands. And then certainly today, many church, uh, church beliefs and practices are being, uh, directed by society and culture, not by the Word of mm, God, mm. and you know, to me, as I look at this, I turn around and say, "Hey, this is incredibly dangerous ground that uh, entire churches mm. are moving are moving towards." Well, I think of Jesus, where he says, "Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth." Yeah. So ultimately, if you're a Christian, you, you you have to come back to the Bible. Of course, if you're discussing with someone who's not of a Christian faith, then you may have to speak more in a philosophical way, and um. But ultimately, that is, I, I feel like, where Jesus is directing the conversation. Yeah. He's saying, well, what is written in the law? Because the law doesn't just, just refer to the Ten Commandments. It would refer to Torah or the writings of Moses, you know, can yeah. broadly be yeah. referred to as yeah. the law. So, so what is written in the, in the Bible? Yeah. What, what has God said um, on this subject? And then, of course, yeah, this, this yeah. discussion of love God, love your neighbor. Okay, I, I'm just wondering now. Um, uh, do you want me to start uh, some of the some of the major points from here, or would you like to go to music first? Well, off? we can go to some music, and then uh, we'll jump right into those main points. And you know, I'm sure uh, our listeners are going to really enjoy this song by Mark Schultz. Remember me. Bible cracked and faded by 
You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Pastor Marty and Pastor Gary. This week we are following radical teachings in the parables of Christ. And today we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and Pastor Gary, we've been 
digging into the introduction, and now we're going to get into some of these main points. Yeah, yeah, look, uh, and we do need to move very quickly. Of course, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan has got some main characters about it. You know, basically you've got this man who was wounded, uh, rode from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, was proverbial uh, for being a, uh, a place where you could well be attacked. Uh, it was a road about, it was about uh, 25 miles in uh, in length uh, from uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a very curvy road. It went through through desert. You could be attacked at any point. Mm. One man was attacked. He was left half dead, as the scriptures record. And along comes the road. Who comes along but a priest? Well, of course, you'd expect the priest to help. Priest doesn't help. Priest goes to the other side of the road and, hey, doesn't want to get involved. And so much of, you know, in our society today, hey, you know, the, the big challenge is, you know, do I get involved because uh, this is something that may have huge implications for me. It may have had implications for that priest because if this man was covered in blood, that would have made him ceremonially unclean. If he's going to uh, to uh, to Jericho to do some, some religious duty, when he got there, he wouldn't be able to do it. So it's going to have implications for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, then you've got a Levite, a Levite, of course, uh, is uh, is not quite the same uh, status as the uh, as the priest, uh, but he's still a religious a religious veteran. He comes along, and uh, you know, theoretically, he is another one who would be uh, would be expected to help. Is there help? No, there's no help there either. But then comes along this man called a Samaritan. Now, of course, the Samaritans are not liked by the Jews at all. In fact, they had been a, there'd been a cold war between them uh, for uh, for century after century after century. Uh, the Samaritan uh, is not loved by the Jew. If ever there's a person who should be going to the other side <laughs> of the road, it's this Samaritan. But in Jesus' story, Jesus turns it around uh, and he says, "Well, actually, the Samaritan went over, loaded this man onto his donkey." Uh, takes him to the bandages him up. Uh, takes him to the local inn, cares for him, and then uh, pays for his uh, his future treatment. Uh, and of course, that mm-hmm. man is called the the good Samaritan. That's where the story comes from. But you know, to me, you know, that's that's the story. But what is Jesus actually getting at? Well, to me, I I think there's a number of uh, uh, points that really do come out of this. Uh, the first one, probably the uh, the key key lesson, of course, is that uh, love itself knows no boundary. Now you know. This is something that in the world in which we are living today, I think is so, uh, such a core issue. I mean, uh, let's face it. I mean, how easy it, it is on uh, maybe social media. If, if in fact somebody is wounded by your words or someone out there has been wounded by words to actually leave them on the side of the road, uh, to not support them. I mean, it's okay for us to say, ah, oh, you know, that, uh, that priest, that uh, Levite there, uh, they were, they were bad people because they, didn't offer support, and yet, you know, I, I, I am just so conscious that the wounds that are mm. being inflicted mm. by people, mm. particularly on social media, and uh, there's nobody that will actually come to their support. Mm. Will it cost you to come to your support? You better believe it's going to cost you something to come to their support. But this is the issue that's actually being dealt with. Do you think mm. I'm being unfair here, Marty? No, I think you're being you're just being very real. The reality is, um, profession is really worth nothing unless it's carried out. There'll be plenty of the, Jesus says there'll be many who say to me, "Lord, Lord," who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And why don't they? Because he says, "I never knew you. You practice yeah. lawlessness." Yeah. In other words, you talked the talk, but you didn't walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I I believe that our interpretation of the gospel 
has far less to do with how well we can preach and how well we can, you know, we can philosophize and articulate theology and far more to do with how we actually treat people. And here, here were the Jews who I suppose had, um, in the time of Christ, had exalted themselves to the, to being spiritually elite. Yeah. And, um, and yet they, they just, they, they had no, they had very little compassion yeah. for um for those outside of their uh, culture, outside yeah. of their race, outside of their belief system, and there were the, all these, like you're saying, sort of man-made boundaries, which love goes far beyond yeah. those actual man-made boundaries. You know, one of the things I, I've actually said to a few people lately, I said, look, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be wonderful? In fact, we had a a group of people that turned around and just simply said, hey, I'm going to be an encourager. Uh, rather than writing damning statements on Facebook and uh, social media all the time, I'm simply going to be a person who's going to love through encouragement. I'm just going to say, hey, yeah. thank you to people. I'm going to uh, lift them up. I'm going to praise them. You know, there's going to be nothing negative that's going to come on board my social media account. To me, that is actually Love, mm, mm, you know, ab- ab- abusing uh, as someone and uh, uh, is is something that anybody can do. But you know, it's only the spirit of God that can encourage people to actually uh, stand up. So love actually knows no boundaries. But the second thing is that love actually knows no end. Uh, we can we can never actually love enough. You know, here we've got the um, uh, you know we've got the the priest. He's probably going to the synagogue. He's probably going to preach his sermon. And what's he going to preach on? Well, he's probably going to preach on uh, loving your neighbour. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is the contradiction, isn't it? And this is why it's it's a, a good one for us as pastors because we often are are in a position where we're preaching, where we're teaching others, and um and yet we we need to be consulting our own hearts as well in in the sense of asking God to search our hearts to make sure that we're actually living what we're preaching. Yeah, indeed. In, in fact, you know, I well imagine this uh, priest actually going to preach maybe on one of the the passages in uh, in the book of Leviticus. I, I love this uh, love this here uh, Leviticus uh, where is it 1934. Uh, uh, the stranger who dwells among you uh, shall be to you as one born amongst you, yeah. and you shall love him as yourself, yeah. for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know, Powerful. What, you know, the, the, right there in the Old Testament. The priest knows that what he should be doing, he, he doesn't do. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I think he, you know, there must have been a moment where he hesitated. There must have been a moment where, because, you know, the Holy Spirit would have convicted him at that moment and said, Indeed. you need to help that man. Indeed. You need to help that man, but he ignored the the promptings of the Spirit of God, and he continued. And I think that one of the challenges when you when we talk about love, oftentimes I think we associate love with a feeling. We associate it with um, this, yeah, this emotion, and yet love is a principle. And this is this was actually going to be my very next point because, and I'm really glad you brought that up because this is something that you know we live in a in a world uh, whereby you know uh, love can be used as an excuse to do almost 
anything mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. is love you know one of the things that i'm i'm just so conscious about is that uh if i say love should have no boundary you know what does that actually mean you know what what i, I would actually suggest is that god's love is something that has to be defined by God. Yeah. Love is something that within the word of God is defined by the heavenly father. Uh, we actually live in a world uh, now of brokenness where, you know, I, I mean, I hear, you know, a, a bloke jump into bed with uh, some, you know, w- with some woman and, uh, you know, this is, this is love, uh, which of course, uh, it is infatuation. It is not actually love. Uh, and of course, yeah. you know, yeah. you'd be aware that uh, within the word of God, you know, the uh, uh, the word love uh, can actually mean uh, there's actually four different Greek words for love. Theirs is a far more precise language. We've got this one word love that covers um, every sin as well as the most beautiful aspects of love. What we're talking about in the uh, when we're talking about love is a principle. Of love. Mm. This is, uh, this is the, uh, the word agape. It's an agape form of love. And God is the one that defines it. It's really interesting how in scripture, on a number of occasions, uh, it is actually defined, uh, within the word of God. I mean, take, you know, first John, uh, five, uh, two to three. By this we know that we love the children of God, uh, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his, can- his commandments are not burdensome. You know, uh, to me, I find that a really interesting passage of Scripture yeah. because it's yeah. starting to define love. If I go to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians defines love. But, you know, it's so easy to just simply, I've heard uh, love uh, be used as an excuse to justify evil. Mm. And that is mm. the way that mm. that term is often being used in the world in which we're living today. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's the, a blurred line between the love based on the principles of God's word, which is unconditional, but it's always in harmony with, with God's will. And, um, and that's what we need to pray for, isn't it, Gary? Yeah. You know, we need to yeah. pray that God would fill our hearts with His love. Yeah. So that we can love the people around us who perhaps have, have hurt us. Perhaps, um, society has, has said, look, uh, these people are, are no good like the Samaritans were considered back in that day. Um, we, we need to pray for God to give us a, to open our eyes actually to the needs of people around us so that we can demonstrate his love. And, you know, Pastor Gary, we've, uh, we've run out of time today. This has been a fantastic parable and, um, I just want to, uh, encourage everyone today with, uh, with, uh, with the, with these words actually from, um, I've actually got them written in my Bible. A right example will do more to benefit the world than all our profession. Mm. If we can talk the talk, if we not only talk the talk, but we also walk the walk, mm. that we don't only just love in words, but in deeds and in truth, mm. then God will actually shine his light through us and will make an impact in the world. Friends, our time is up. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to invite you to join us again tomorrow where Pastor David and I will be looking at a parable to the rich and famous. I'd like to leave you with these words from God who says to us in his word, For I know the plans I have for you, 
declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. May you indeed know and walk in the wonderful plan that God has for your life. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 